be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 24 and uh, focus primarily on verses 9 through verse 14. But I'll begin reading at verse 1 of Matthew 24 and read through verse 14. So once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the truth of Your word. And as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would be with us to give us understanding and insight, and that as Your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray that it would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil, which brings about great and abundant fruit for Your glory. Father, we pray for your blessing now upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago we began looking at the Olivet Discourse. And this discourse comes in response to the questions that the disciples asked Jesus uh, in verse 3. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, the disciples had asked Jesus these questions in response to Jesus' comment in verse 2 that the temple would be destroyed and not one stone left upon another. Well, then, from the discourse, or excuse me, from the uh, disciples' perspective, such an event would surely be the end of the world, because the temple for the for the Jews was really the center of their faith and of their uh, their lives. But as Jesus begins to answer their questions, 
He separates these events, and though he speaks of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which would come in in, uh, 70 AD, so roughly uh, 40 years from the time that Jesus is here speaking, but that would be a precursor of the judgment that would come upon all the earth on the last great day. And to demonstrate this, Jesus emphasizes some uh, general signs. He talked of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and the arrival of false Christs. All these would come not only in the generation of the apostles, but they would also appear in every age down through history, showing that though the end is coming, it has not yet arrived. Well, Jesus now... Our passage this morning, Jesus now looks to challenge his disciples and encourage them to endure through all these hardships as they stay focused on his calling uh, that he has given to them and as they stay focused on the coming fullness of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' instruction here isn't just for his disciples and for that generation, it's also for us, it's also for our encouragement. And as we'll see, uh, for believers in Christ, because we know that we face many tribulations before our Savior's return in glory at the end of the age. And so in verse 9, Jesus continues some of the sorrowful uh, signs that must come. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. There's a few things that we want to note about here. First, note the change in focus from the very general to now something very specific. That is, Jesus previously gave examples of signs that would be seen by uh, the whole world and would have an impact on uh, everyone throughout time. The wars between nations, uh, various uh, catastrophes and, and natural disasters that would come, those things are experienced by, uh, by everyone throughout the world. But Jesus now focuses on things that will affect particularly his followers, and especially the persecution that they will endure. And this persecution will be severe at times. Not only uh, hatred and betrayal and mistreatment, but even death will come upon those whose hope and faith is in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, this is no surprise to Jesus' disciples, at least it ought not to be. In fact, back in Jesus' very first discourse, back in the, the Sermon on the Mount, when he's just beginning his uh, earthly ministry, he spoke these challenging words. In Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. So Jesus has been saying from the beginning that these tribulations and persecutions were going to come. And he's been preparing his disciples for uh, for some time for this. And indeed, there would be a fulfillment of this in the first century, as the apostles would endure such tribulations, and some even would be put to death because of their faith. 
But as we'll see, this sign wasn't restricted to that generation. But I also want to note here the certainty with which Jesus says that these tribulations will come. Note his words here. They will deliver you up to tribulations and kill you. You will be hated. Many will be offended. And they will betray one another. And they will hate one another. Brothers and sisters, there's no escaping it. Jesus assures us that these things will happen. Now it's true they may not happen with the same severity to all believers in every age. And that is, for example, not every Christian is going to die the life of or the death of a martyr. No, the assurance is that as a Christian, the threat of persecution in a variety of forms will always be before us for all believers in every age. And these tribulations will greatly increase as the end draws near. Now truly there's nothing easy then about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this should remind us to be on guard against those who mislead and deceive by saying things that we can live our best life now. Or that true Christian life is is to be free from troubles and, and poverty and sickness. No, Jesus assures us that these things will happen. And so we ought to prepare for them. And we certainly ought not to be surprised when we ourselves, or those that we love, endure such tribulation and persecution. Well, where would these persecutions come from? Jesus begins with a general undefined they. They will deliver you up. And this uh, general they would indicate that these persecutions would uh, come from those who have the power and the authority to, uh, to carry them out. Now we know that Jesus had uh, just prior to giving this discourse, he was in the temple teaching and he had just had this long day of, of confrontation with the religious leaders. And certainly those religious leaders who were seeking to trap Jesus and who were trying to undermine his ministry and, and discredit him before the people, certainly they would be included in this day. But Jesus elaborates further. And he shows that these tribulations would come from both outside the church as well as even from within the church. First persecution will come from the nations. That is, it will come from the civil governments and the political authorities who remain in rebellion to God. And this wouldn't just be localized, of course, to the time and the place of of the uh, New Testament. That is, it's not going to just be Herod and Pilate, Felix and Festus and Caesar and all the various Roman emperors and, and officials during the first century. But all nations, at all the world, throughout all time. And so this clearly takes the fulfillment of this prophecy well beyond 70 A.D., 
Now, certainly it's true that during the first centuries, the Roman uh, Empire uh, fiercely persecuted the church at various times. And initially, they, they saw Christians as simply a sect or a, a subset of, Judea, of Judaism, and so they kind of just ignored it. And we have examples of that in the, in the book of Acts, where uh, you know, Paul is preaching and causes a great disruption, and, and uh, the response is, well, they're just disputing about something among their laws, what their Roman officials say. But as the gospel began to spread throughout the empire... Well, distinction began to be made, and Christians were seen as a growing threat to the empire. In fact, the church was treated like a cult, and there were these wild rumors that began to be circulated to turn people against them. For example, uh, one rumor was that, that the Christians were cannibals because of the words of Jesus in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And of course... The idea that Jesus was this rival political king to Caesar was also a common uh, rumor that was spread around. We know Nero used the Christians as a scapegoat uh, to and blamed them for the burning of Rome. And so when Jesus says here that they would be delivered that they would endure tribulations, that they would be hated, that they would be put to death. He was preparing His disciples for this intense time of suffering that would happen through these early centuries of the church. But again, this persecution didn't end after 70 AD when the Romans came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Now it continued on and it continues even today. We know that evil and wicked governments ruthlessly seek out faithful Christians. And they arrest them, pulling them from their homes. They imprison them, they they beat and afflict them, and they even kill them. And so when we see such things happening in the world around us, we truly understand that the end is drawing near. And Jesus told us that these things would happen. But this persecution not only comes from unbelieving governments out there in the world, But it can also arise from very close within, even from within the church. Now back in chapter 10, Jesus has already uh, challenged the disciples and, and warned them that they can expect persecution to rise up even from within their own families. In uh, chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be uh, members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so Jesus is, is saying, look, the gospel brings division. It will bring division even within the family, and some in their own family may rise up and persecute you. And of course, because of this, and some perhaps here have experienced this very thing in their own families, they've experienced persecution or rejection by family members. Well, they often then find great comfort within the church and they build their support system with other believers and find their family in the body of believers. And this is a good, wonderful blessing that we can enjoy. 
But Jesus warns here that tribulations and persecutions can even come from within the household of faith. And we see this in the phrase that Jesus uses here, they will deliver you up. Now in the first century, in the Roman Empire, only the Roman governor or officials had the authority to put someone to death. And we see this example even with the death of Jesus, right? The, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they couldn't just go out and, and kill Jesus. Uh, they had to take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, to get his authority so that they might put him to death. And so a person had to be delivered up or handed over to these authorities. You may wonder, well, who in the household of faith would do such a thing? Who in the household of faith would deliver up his brother or his sister to the authorities that they would be put to death? Well, Jesus says in verse 10, many will be offended or many will stumble and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, I first want you to understand that betrayal, right? Betrayal can only come at the hands of one that's perceived to be an ally or friend. <coughs> you can't be betrayed by an enemy. You're betrayed by those that you think are your friends. So someone close to the believers was going to betray them and hand them over. But we also note here that the ones uh, who are offended or stumble are going to be the ones who do that betraying. Now, this can refer to a, a few different uh, situations. It can refer to those who, who make a profession of faith in Christ, and yet they, they become offended. Maybe by something that someone says, or they become offended by some point of doctrine uh, within the church, or they become offended when they uh, have to submit to the faithful exercise of church discipline. And they stumble. That is, they step away. And they then betray their faith and their brothers and sisters and they begin to, to lash out with revenge and hatred uh, toward them, even seeking to uh, expose them. Now we can think of a, an example. When we had uh, something, uh, had maybe a, an experience with this uh, a few years ago where... Um, Someone in the church, it was a disciplinary action uh, taken. And so the individual, instead of turning from their sin and repenting and doing what was good and right in God's sight, they sought to publicly expose the injustice that they felt uh, coming from the church. And they put this out on social media and of course then the, the unbelieving world uh, began to chime in and, and uh, laughed and scorned at these mean judgmental Christians. And so that is how one can stumble and betray and bring disgrace not only to, to the church and to those in the church, but also to the name of Christ. But certainly the betrayal can be much more extreme. In fact, especially during a time of tribulation and persecution, 
Again, someone who once professed faith suddenly realizes as they're in the midst of this persecution, as they're being hunted down, as what they have and uh, is being taken away from them, they said, you know, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't part of the plan. I'm, I'm supposed to be living my best life now. Well, these ones think this, even though Jesus, again, makes it plainly clear that these troubles and persecutions would come. And so they'd be like those uh, the seed sown among the rocks in the parable of the sower. Remember, the, the seed is cast in different soils. Well, the seed sown among the rocks, it springs up quickly. There's an, an appearance of, of growth and faith. And yet, because it's on the rocks, there's no deep soil. And so the roots can't reach down and there really isn't any root at all. So when the sun comes out and the, the hot sun begins to burn throughout the day, well then that plant withers away because it had no roots. And Jesus explains that parable saying that describes those who in that heat of persecution uh, wither away. And it's those who will then also turn and betray those whom they once called brothers. They would reject, not only reject the faith, but they turn and expose those who they once embraced as their brothers and sisters in Christ. The Roman historian <coughs> Tacitus records that during the reign of Nero, as well as other times when persecution broke out against the church, that many Christians uh, who were arrested and they were tortured, many would renounce their faith. And they would then disclose the names of other believers in an effort to save their own lives and to keep themselves from death. And so these were not firmly rooted in true faith. When the heat of persecution came, they withered in fear, and then they turned on others. They betrayed others. And of course, added to these betrayers, Jesus once again warns in verse 11 of false prophets and teachers who will rise up and who will deceive many. And these two come from within the household of faith. And again, not just during the first century, but throughout all time, even today, many false teachers rise up within the church and they lead many astray, wreaking havoc on the lives of the faithful. And so truly these persecutions can come from within the body. So we know this. Persecution will come. We know from whom it may come. But why does it come? What could possibly stir up so much anger and hatred? Well, Jesus makes clear in verse 9 that these tribulations will come upon the faithful for my name's sake. That is because these believers bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Persecution will come, even the scorn and the hatred of all nations. Now we mentioned before that the gospel divides. It divides because it brings light into the world, as Jesus himself is the light of the world. But this world of sin is covered in darkness. It's enslaved to evil. And the darkness hates the light. 
And the darkness does its best to hide from the light. And if it can't hide from the light, it will then do its best to try to extinguish the light and snuff it out. (coughs) And so because we're children of the light, that is because we're believers in Jesus, the light of the world, the world will hate us even as it hated him. And it will try to snuff us out. Well, as Jesus warns the disciples of these things, we should note that nothing he says here about what's in store for them, Jesus says nothing that he himself will not escape. In fact, we find hints here of what Jesus had previously shared with the disciples about his own coming suffering and death. In Matthew 20, he said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. We just read earlier about that betrayal by Judas. Now we need to note here though as I read that passage in in Matthew 20 how Jesus uses some of the same and, and the similar words to speak of his own experience as he now is applying to his followers and what they will endure. They will suffer betrayal. They will be delivered up. They too will be killed and put to death and suffer many things. And we can add to this the hatred and the scorn that Jesus endured from the, uh, from the Pharisees and the priests, from the Roman soldiers and from the crowds who, who mocked Him while He hung on the cross. And Jesus endured all these things and He's telling His disciples, you're also going to endure similar things. Now we know Jesus suffered this persecution and hatred for us on our account. And that by His stripes, by His scourging, we're healed from the curse of of sin and death. And He's called those who would follow Him now to deny themselves and to take up their cross and to follow after Him. And those who faithfully do this, He says here, will suffer persecution as they identify with Jesus their Savior in their sufferings. But in doing so, they truly glorify their God and Savior. And indeed, this is precisely what happened, as many of the disciples and then apostles followed in the footsteps of our Savior. For example, in uh, in Acts chapter 5, we read of of Peter and John before uh, the Sanhedrin. And after calling the apostles in, they, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So this is early on, after uh, Jesus uh, had risen and ascended to heaven, and Jesus is sending the apostles out, and they're preaching and doing as he said. Well, now they're already suffering this persecution. They're beaten because of their proclamation of the gospel. But note here also that they went forth rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Even in their suffering and their being persecuted and afflicted, they were bringing glory to their Savior, who had endured the very same thing for them. 
The Apostle Paul describes his many tribulations for the name of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, "...in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes." Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've spent on. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Paul is it clear that the dangers are all around? They come from anywhere. And again, even some of us that may have experienced some of these dangers firsthand. But says faithful following the footsteps of our Savior, of course, didn't stop with the first generation of the apostles. No, of course, it continued on down through history. First during the early church. Those that refused to recant and, and reject their faith in Christ were often thrown to lions and wild dogs in the Roman Colosseum. Some were even used as, as human torches to light up Nero's garden. And then during the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church persecuted many faithful Christians. And they burned them at the stake. In fact, one of the early Reformers, uh, John Wycliffe, who uh, had the audacity to uh, publish uh, the Word of God in, uh, in the English language, uh, Wycliffe became so hated, even after his death, that 30 years after his death, uh, the Pope ordered that his bones be dug up and burned. Because so great was the hatred for Wycliffe and, and the influence that he was still having now 30 years after his death. And then he, even in our own spiritual tradition, tradition, the Scottish Covenanters were hunted down during the killing times by the Catholic civil leaders because of their obedience to Christ and His Word. And on up through our own day, we hear of persecution of Christians, both far and near, in places like China, North Korea, and the Middle East, and in many other places throughout the world. And indeed, as we're becoming increasingly aware even in our own nation, as the truth of God's Word continues to be rejected and despised, those who profess and confess its truth aren't far from enduring the same tribulations. Friends, it wouldn't take much for all-out persecution against the church to begin, even in our own land. Beloved of God, we must know that these things are coming. And they will be a reality for us before Christ returns. As Jesus pointedly says here in verse 12, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And again, look around. What do you see in our culture in our society today do you not see lawlessness abounding everywhere do you not see the rejection of God and his law and the seeking the, the breaking away of the bonds of the law of God we see evil being called good and good being called evil and along with this increasing lawlessness we also find 
growing hatred and fear and mistrust abounding. Truly the love of many is growing cold, even right before our own eyes. Brothers and sisters, this is what's coming. We must be ready. We must be prepared. And we must endure to the end. And so what are the encouragements that we have then to endure through such trials and tribulations? Well, Jesus assures in verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now we need to be clear Jesus isn't saying here that we're saved by any effort we make to endure or get through these times. No, our salvation is by God's grace alone, not by the work or effort to endure or to do anything else. But it's the grace of God working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to faithfully endure. It's the Lord Himself who will preserve us and strengthen us to endure the tribulations that will come. So that those who are sustained by His grace and strengthened by Him will endure to the end and their salvation will be made complete. And friends, this is true even if these persecutions that we endure ends in our being put to death. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the promise remains that the Lord will sustain us and He will give us the grace to endure even on through death itself bringing us to that full and complete salvation. But those who recant, (coughs) that is, those who would renounce their faith in such times of (coughs) persecution, those who don't rely on the grace of God for their salvation or their strength, those who won't endure to the end, they won't be saved even though they may preserve their physical lives in the here and now. Truly, Jesus has a stern warning for them. In Matthew 10, He says, But whoever shall deny Me before men, I will also deny him before My Father who is in heaven. Beloved of God, the one who fully trusts in the strength of the Lord will endure to the end. And will enjoy the crown of life everlasting. And that truly ought to encourage us. And the second encouragement we see in verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And we can be encouraged that even in the midst of great persecution, the gospel will be proclaimed and God will continue to be glorified through that witness. Now history has shown that persecution doesn't silence the gospel. In fact, it does just the opposite. It causes the gospel to spread more and more. The gospel will be proclaimed throughout all the world as a witness, both to the nations as well as against them. 
it will be a witness to them and that many in those nations would hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and would come to follow after Him. But it will be a witness against them because then they'll surely be without excuse. And if they hear and reject the gospel and then persecute those who believe and proclaim the gospel, it will be a great witness against them on the day of judgment. Now of all the signs that Jesus has mentioned so far, this is the most clear and the most specific. Persecution will not stifle the gospel. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There will always be a witness to the proclamation of the gospel. And this ought to encourage us greatly to endure whatever trials may come. Because it shows us that the plan and the purposes of God will truly prevail. Well, this sign of the gospel being proclaimed in all nations, even in the face of persecution, leads then to the final encouragement. Because once that gospel is proclaimed in every nation, once it's proclaimed to every person to whom it's been appointed, in every age and generation which God has purposed, See, once that last person God has chosen before the foundation of the world both hears and believes the gospel, at that time, the end will come. And when the end comes, tribulations and persecutions will cease. Lawlessness and hatred will be done away with as Christ returns in power and glory to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the fullness of His kingdom. The fullness of His kingdom where His people, those who've trusted in Him and believe the gospel, those who've endured to the end as they've relied fully on His all-sufficient grace, they will dwell in the fullness of His glory forever and ever. And I'll tell you, that is a great reward to look forward to and to behold and ought to be a great encouragement to us as we seek to be faithful to the Great Commission to preach the Gospel throughout the world even in the midst of great persecution. And so, beloved of God, be encouraged by these things. Be encouraged to endure to the end as we seek to bring all glory to our great God and Savior alone. Let's pray. Well, gracious God in heaven, we just praise you and thank you for your word to us and the challenge and the hard words. We don't like to think about being uncomfortable, let alone being persecuted and suffering many things and even being put to death. We pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would be working in us that grace to strengthen us. That we, in those heated times, would look to You for our grace and our strength and that we might endure as we would continue to press on in Your calling which You have called us to proclaim the gospel 
throughout all the earth until that time when the last one whom you have appointed hears and believes and comes to a saving faith in you. And then the end will come. We will rejoice and be glad at that sight. That glorious sight of your Son, Jesus Christ, coming with a shout, the blast of the trumpet, so that all might see that Jesus Christ is truly Lord of lords and King of kings. That all the persecutions and the tribulations will be done away with. That the hatred and the sin and the lawlessness will be finally put to rest. As Christ ushers in the fullness of His kingdom. And that we who endure to the end will be ready to give all glory and honor and praise in your glorious in the fullness of your glorious presence forever and ever and ever. Father, may as we think upon these things, may we be encouraged. And as we look at our own nation and we understand things going on and there's already a sense of unease and how you are being rejected and your word is being defiled publicly and blatantly. Now good is being called evil and evil is being called good. Uh, we pray that we, as we see these things that we would be strengthened that we would be encouraged to endure and that would be faithful to bring all glory and honor and praise to your name. So we just ask, Father, that your spirit would be with us. Apply these truths to each of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, that we might do this very thing for your glory alone. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.